This is it, gentlemen. The Queen of Hearts is the winning card. Watch it closely. Follow her with your eyes as she moves. Here she is. And now here. And now here. And now where? The Queen of Hearts. My hand is quicker than your eye. If you find the lady, you win, and I pay. If not, I win, and I take your money. Who will go me twenty dollars? Twenty dollars! Yes. This is, in fact, disrupting Japan. Straight talk from Japan's most successful entrepreneurs. But today, we're going to talk about three-card Monty. Or, more specifically, what three-card Monty teaches us about NFTs, or non-fungible tokens. You know three-card Monty, even if you don't know it by that name. The dealer places three cards on the table, flips over one to reveal the queen, flips the queen back over, and begins shuffling the three cards around the table. He does so quickly, but not too quickly. You can just follow his movements. You confidently point to your card, and the dealer flips over a seven. You lose your money. Of course, you never really had a chance. The dealer slipped the queen up his sleeve when he started the shuffle. All that patter and shuffling was just there to distract you. The three cards you see on the table, they're all decoys. The important card had already been taken off the table. And so you see, just like three-card Monty, the key to understanding NFTs is looking at what's missing. So in this podcast, we're going to grab the dealer by the wrist, dispose of that distracting patter and those decoy cards, and take a hard look at exactly what's been taken off the table. And to be clear, I have absolutely no opinion as to whether you should invest in NFTs or if you will personally make any money from them. Today, we'll just be talking about what they are, their reason for existence. In startup terms, we'll be defining NFT's true value proposition. But by the end of this episode, it will make perfect sense to you why a JPEG of a robot with a green mustache is worth $2 million, while the same robot with a red mustache is only worth $50. In fact, you'll understand why NFTs could not possibly work any other way. Oh, and before we dive in, I want to let you know that although I spent a lot of time checking my facts and making sure what I'm about to explain to you is accurate, I am most emphatically not a lawyer or a financial advisor. I am a founder, podcaster, author, hacker, picker, grinner, lover, sinner. And, and, and if you're even thinking about taking legal or financial advice from me, you're being an idiot. So stop it. Okay, with that out of the way, let's flip over these decoy cards. NFTs are usually described as something like digital certificates of ownership, or a digital receipt, or virtual goods with a blockchain providing proof of provenance and authenticity. NFT promoters love to claim that they are a permanent, distributed, publicly auditable, tamper-proof record of ownership. But no, they're, they're not any of that. 
that's misdirection. That's one of the decoy cards. I mean, NFTs definitely provide a permanent, distributed, publicly auditable, tamper-proof record that you gave your money to a crypto promoter. But purchasing an NFT gives you absolutely no copyrights, usage rights, or ownership rights to the artwork. It's not a receipt because you haven't actually bought anything but the receipt itself. Now, to be fair, the terms of service for some NFT marketplaces hint at such rights, and some NFTs are sold with legal-sounding jargon that promises them. But the whole idea that copyrights and usage rights can be transferred between anonymous wallets not tied to any specific legal entity is, well, let's just say it's untested legal ground. Particularly when there's no way to know if the anonymous creator of an NFT even owned the artwork in question, and, and there's no recourse if they're ever caught lying. Now, you'll find that most promoters will quickly back away from the ownership claims when you challenge them. They then fall back to the second decoy card. Well, they say, NFT buyers are not really interested in the legal minutiae of copyright law. To them, NFTs are more about bragging rights. NFTs provide a permanent, distributed, publicly auditable, tamper-proof record that they have the bragging rights to a specific piece of art. Okay, let's flip over this decoy card as well. Now, unlike copyrights, bragging rights don't seem to have any basis in law, so I, I can't address them specifically. But it's important to realize that the artwork in question is not on the blockchain. It's, it's just a URL. Once again, you have a permanent, distributed, publicly auditable, tamper-proof record that you gave someone your money but you only get a URL in return. Presumably, that URL resolved to a nice drawing of, I don't know, a cat wearing sunglasses or something when you sent them your money. But after that, there are no guarantees. Domain names can be sold or go dark. Someone could take that image down or replace it with another one. I mean, you really have no control over any of that at all. In fact, it might be hard to prove it was even done. You just have to take them at their word that they will maintain this site for you forever and for free. But hey, I I'm sure it'll be fine. If you can't trust the solemn promise of a crypto promoter, who can you trust? All right, let's flip over the third and final card before we look up the dealer's sleeve and see what's there. NFTs are a way to ensure that artists and creators get paid for their hard work. No. No, they are not. And as a former professional musician, this is the decoy card that, that kind of annoys me the most. Th this line of bold usually starts with the word imagine, as in, imagine if artists could get paid every time their work is resold, or Imagine if you could take a unique digital item you create from game to game. Or imagine if musicians could be guaranteed to receive the royalties they're owed. Well, okay. I'm a fairly imaginative person, and 
I can imagine all kinds of wonderful things. But in reality, NFTs are not enabling any of this. There are plenty of existing platforms and systems that do all of this right now, and NFTs don't seem to be improving or replacing any of them. And really, even a casual glance at the NFT market will show you that most of the so-called NFT art is algorithmically generated nonsense. But, as we'll see when we look up the dealer's sleeve, algorithmically generated nonsense is much, much better suited to NFT's true value proposition than actual art could ever be. Oh, and by the way, I have no intention of getting into a but-what-is-art debate. If you find NFT art appealing, that's cool and a, a totally valid opinion. My point is that the vast majority of NFT art is generated by programmers and crypto promoters for the purpose of creating NFTs. Very, very little is generated by struggling artists trying to reach a wider audience. And that kind of gives away the lie about how it's really about helping artists. Okay, so, so what do we have left here? We've flipped over all three cards, and now there seems to be nothing left on the table. Well, remember, the secret to understanding NFTs, just like the secret to understanding three-card Monty, is figuring out what's been taken off the table. So let's have a look at the dealer's sleeve and see what's missing. Let's start with the name. We are talking about non-fungible tokens. So, obviously, fungibility has been removed. But what, what does that mean exactly? Why is that important? When you think about it, from, from a marketing perspective, non-fungible tokens is a really odd naming choice. They could have gone with art tokens, or creator tokens, or collector's tokens, but no. The creators and promoters went with an obscure, difficult-to-pronounce bit of financial jargon. Non-fungible tokens. But this makes perfect sense, because as you see, NFTs have nothing to do with art, and everything to do with fungibility. NFT promoters usually explain that non-fungible means unique. But like everything else you hear about NFTs, that's not quite true. I mean, not exactly. Uniqueness and non-fungibility are related, but they differ in one important way. And that difference is the reason NFTs exist at all. Okay, so what does fungible actually mean? If something is fungible, it means that it is not legally distinct from any other instances of that thing in the same quantity. For example, commodities are not unique and they are fungible. If you buy or sell an ounce of gold or a barrel of West Texas crude, the particular ounce of gold or barrel of oil doesn't matter. Only the quantity matters. So commodities are both fungible and non-unique. However, things like banknotes, stock certificates, are unique, but they're also fungible. 
Banknotes and stock certificates have serial numbers that uniquely identify them. But that uniqueness is legally irrelevant. It's easy to tell two $20 bills apart. They have different serial numbers. They might be worn differently. One might have marks on it. But, but legally, none of that matters. Every $20 bill is legally identical to every other $20 bill. And the same is true for every share of Apple common stock. You can't legally demand that a bank return a specific $20 bill or your broker provide you with a specific share of Apple stock. So financial securities are both unique and fungible. And it's the same with cryptocurrencies. Tokens are both unique and fungible. You can loan me one Bitcoin, and that Bitcoin is unique, but you cannot demand I repay you with that specific Bitcoin. Our whole financial system is based on this concept of fungibility. And for anything to be considered a financial security, stocks, bonds, Bitcoin, it must be fungible. And here we start to get a glimpse of NFT's real value proposition. If you take away fungibility, if something is non-fungible, you still have something valuable, but you can't have a financial security. Without fungibility, you have what's known as a collectible, like art or baseball cards. Baseball cards have value. They're owned, they're traded. They, they don't have unique serial numbers or identifiers, but they are not fungible. My 1972 Topps Nolan Ryan card is different from any other 1972 Topps Nolan Ryan card. Faded colors, scratches, tiny creases, Little marks, they, they all influence the value of my card. And so the price of each card must be determined individually. And this is what distinguishes a collectible from a security like a share of Apple stock, each of which is worth exactly the same, regardless of condition or appearance. Okay, fine. So NFTs can't be securities. What does that give us? Again, just like three-card Monty, it's not what we get, but what's been taken away. The important thing is what's been taken off the table. Now, if you want to buy and sell securities, there are a lot of laws and oversight. There are strict know-your-customer laws that must be obeyed, auditing and reporting requirements that must be followed, and a ton of anti-money laundering regulations. These are all taken off the table when you're dealing in collectibles. If you're running a crypto exchange, you're dealing in securities, and you're going to be regulated just like a real stock market. If you're running an NFT marketplace, on the other hand, you're regulated like the local comic book store. Not fungible, not a security. Not a security, no pesky SEC regulations, or know your customer requirements at least for now. Okay, but in practice, why is this useful? Well, with the security laws taken off the table, there are two basic ways of reliably making a lot of money in NFTs. We'll call them the illicit and the opportunistic. First, let's deal with the illicit. Money laundering, at its core, 
is simply the process of getting money earned from illicit activities into the world financial system. But that's not easy to do. If you show up at the bank with $5 million in cash, you also need to have a really good explanation of where those funds came from and a paper trail to back up your story, or the bank is just not going to take your money. Those pesky know-your-customer laws that we talked about before, they forbid it. And this is a challenge for the crypto black market. It's relatively easy to get dirty money into crypto, but getting any significant amount out, well, that's, that's hard. Remember, most governments considered crypto to be a security, and crypto exchanges must follow the same know-your-customers laws that banks do. NFTs solve this problem nicely. Let's say that you have $20 million in dirty money from, I don't know, drugs, ransomware, torturing puppies. It, it doesn't matter. Let's just say you're a bad person with a lot of money. Odds are, a lot of that money is already in crypto. But if it's not, getting it into crypto is trivial, and you can do it from anywhere in the world. So, how do we make this work? Step one, use a little bit of your clean money to set up an account and buy some NFTs. Step two, cover your tracks by moving some of your dirty crypto through altcoins or Monero, or some of it through off-chain transactions, maybe some of it through Tornado or another Tumblr, and have it eventually wind up in a brand new wallet that you control. Step three, sell some NFTs to your new mystery wallet for a huge profit. Step four, report the sale, pay your capital gains taxes, and deposit your new squeaky clean money into the bank. Now, in the real world, of course, the process would be automated and involve thousands of wallets and transactions, but, but you get the basic idea. And you could also run the process in reverse if you wanted to take a tax loss and needed to move money into crypto. In effect, NFTs are instruments that act like securities, but can't be regulated like securities. This is their core value proposition. And I have to admit that it is absolutely genius. This is why algorithmic art is so perfect for NFTs. You or I, as, as rational human beings, can look at a set of 10,000 pictures of a robot with minor algorithmically generated variations and understand that these so-called collectibles are not actually scarce and that there's not really any artistic difference between the robot with a green mustache and the one with the red mustache. Sure, you and I can see that. But the law? Well, the law can't see that at all. The red and the green mustaches make them clearly and visibly different. And the market obviously values them differently, so yeah. Legally, NFTs are clearly non-fungible. Legally, they are clearly collectibles. And it is exceptionally hard for a financial regulator to argue it any other way. You see, NFTs don't exist to support the art. The art exists to support the NFTs. It doesn't matter what NFTs look like. All that's required is enough variation in appearance and valuation 
to demonstrate that they are non-fungible and therefore should not be regulated as securities. Algorithmic art is perfect for this. Now, before we get into the opportunistic method of making real money with NFTs, I, I want to state what should be blindingly obvious. Most of the people who are minting and trading NFTs are not laundering money. Of course, most of them aren't making real money either. But even if you have no need or desire to launder money, you can still make an astounding amount of money opportunistically and, at least for now, legally, using securities that can't be regulated as securities. From pump and dumps to false disclosures to price manipulation, I mean, you have the whole pre-SEC history of securities fraud from which you can draw inspiration. And even for those whose moral compasses will not lead them into such gray areas, there's still plenty of money to be made. I mean, <laughs> let's face it, selling virtual goods for real money is always an attractive business model. There are a few artists trying to make a buck, a lot of speculators dreaming of striking it rich, and even large companies are getting into the game now. The level of NFT hype at the moment is absolutely amazing. OpenSea is bringing in $80 million a month in revenue and is rumored to be valued at $18 billion. With the market so frothy and irrational, it seems perfectly reasonable that an NFT of a cat wearing a monocle was sold for $5 million. Was this money laundering, a pump and dump, or just wide-eyed speculation? There, there is just no way to know. And that's what makes the whole system work. Now, in the end, NFTs will turn out to be a medium-term phenomenon. They'll be around for another three or four years and start to fizzle out. It's always a cheap laugh to make fun of government bureaucrats, but lawmakers and regulators are not stupid people. They, they know what's going on. And over the past months, everyone's been poring over the U.S. Bank Secrecy Act of 2021 and the Anti-Money Laundering Act of 2020, trying to determine if they can be applied to NFTs. And the definitive answer is... maybe? I mean, the, the basic design of NFTs make them really resistant to this kind of regulation. There seems to be a consensus that legislative changes will be needed before buying and selling NFTs would be covered by any of these laws. And of course, new legislation takes time. So it will probably take these laws three or four years to catch up with reality and then start being enforced. But until that happens, NFTs will continue to be useful and insane amounts of money will continue to flow through them. Five years from now, we'll look back on today's NFT craze the same way we now look back at the hype-filled ICO craze of five years ago. Hey, do you remember ICOs? Do you remember how ICOs are going to disrupt finance, democratize investment, take venture capital away from the elites, and unleash a huge wave of innovation? Yeah, yeah, I remember that too. It didn't happen. In addition to the financial similarities between yesterday's ICO craze and today's NFT craze, I'd like to share a personal one with you. 
At the start of 2018, near the height of the ICO hype, I published an article in Forbes that explained how ICO-based startups were locking themselves into a cash flow structure that put them at a horrible competitive disadvantage, and that this basically guaranteed that ICO-based startups could never develop into real businesses. I thought it was a fairly straightforward financial analysis, and by the way, one that turned out to be 100% correct. Now, a few readers did contact me to talk about my financial analysis, but wow, the overwhelming response was, was anger and accusations. The takeaway for most people was, was not the financial model that I found so fascinating, but that by talking about it, I was somehow accusing everyone involved with ICOs as being criminals or scammers which is absolutely not true. It was not true then, and it's not true now. I know maybe a dozen people who ran successful ICOs. Every one of them sincerely believed in their vision and worked their ass off to deliver the vision they promised to their investors. Every one of them failed, but not because of dishonesty or lack of effort, but largely because of the structural pressures I outlined in that article. And it's the same with NFTs. The NFT craze will be over in a few years when the know-your-customer laws are tightened and the core value proposition for NFT goes away. And while there are certainly no shortages of scammers in NFTs or in anything related to crypto, the NFT craze is just not a good guys and bad guys kind of story. At its heart, it's a dry financial story with a thick layer of juicy hype slathered on top. And, and I totally get why it's the hype that everyone wants to talk about. But me, I'm a sucker for a bit of dry financial deconstruction. Bragging rights may not be legally enforceable, but they do have real economic value. We now have celebrities showing off their NFTs and promoters showing that celebrities are buying NFTs, and consumers buying those NFTs hoping that they can be one of the cool kids. And that's all perfectly fine. I don't think modern capitalism would continue to function if we all suddenly stopped caring if we were one of the cool kids or not. If you want to buy or sell NFTs, please don't let me stop you. Hell, if you want to slap down a $20 bill and play around a three-card Monty, I say go for it. I'm not here to judge. My only real advice is that you should understand how these games actually work. You should know what you're getting into. If you want to talk more about the financial aspect of NFTs and their true value proposition, I would love to hear from you. So come by disruptingjapan.com slash show 188 and let's talk about it. If you leave a thoughtful comment, I guarantee I'll respond. And hey, if you enjoy the show, tell people about it. In this age of omni-channel advertising and reviews as a service, you'd be amazed just how much power your honest recommendation carries. But most of all, thanks for listening. And thank you for letting people interested in Japanese startups know about the show. I'm Tim Romero. And thanks for listening to Disrupting Japan.